Ephesians chapter 4. Say amen if you're there. Amen. All right, you guys are on it. I like it. Okay. We got as far as verse 10 last time, so uh, today we will start at 11. We'll do 11 through 16. And speaking of Jesus here, Paul says, And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastor-teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Father, we thank you for the word of God. And right now, Lord, we pray that you would open our hearts to the truth of what you want us to know today, Lord, that we would grow in the grace and knowledge of you and be an instrument that you could use for your glory. So bless us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, if you haven't been with us we and you're visiting today, we go through the Bible here at Calvary Chapel North Shore, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, and we've been going through the book of Ephesians. And if this is your first time here, you're at a little bit of a disadvantage because we're in a chapter 4 of Ephesians. Chapters 1, 2, and 3, God was sharing with us how He sees us in Christ. And that's so important for us to understand that. Because before you can do things for God, you need to know how God sees you. That's what drives you to serve God. That's what drives you to do things for God. When you understand how much God loves you, that He chose you, that He picked you, that He's redeemed you, that you're sealed by the Holy Spirit. When you understand how much God loves and adores you, it causes you to want to serve Him. It's an attitude of gratitude. And so chapters 1 through 3 show us how God sees us. Chapters 4 through 6 that is to wake us up that in light of how God sees us, this is how we should walk. And that's how we started the chapter last week, that we are to walk worthy of our calling, which we've been called. Every one of us has been called. And verses uh, 2 describe how we're supposed to look at Christians, it says with all lowliness, we're supposed to be humble. With all gentleness, we're supposed to be meek. With long-suffering, we're supposed to be patient. Bearing with one another in love. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. God wants His church to be in unity. He wants us to be working together, especially in tough times. And I shared last week that um, God hates division. Division is the work of the flesh. Unity is the work of the Spirit. And God loves unity in the body of Christ. And one of the ways division comes about is through gossip. And I've seen more leaders and people in the congregation destroyed by gossip and lies than I want to think about. And the problem is, is that with Christians, they, they, don't, um, they don't go to the person that it's being talked about. They, they go and tell other people and cause more division. And God, God that breaks God's heart. You know, the Bible says what defines us to the world, that they know that we're the children of God by the love that we have for one another. 
And right now, the enemy wants to destroy churches. He wants to destroy people. He wants to cause division because we're in the last days. And this is a time that we need to interlock our arms and work together more than ever before and keep our eyes focused on what we're supposed to be doing and not be derailed by all this other stuff that's going on around the world, but to keep the main thing the main thing, and that's to, that, to understand that we're put here on this earth to share the love of God, to preach the gospel, to see people get saved, especially now that I think God is wrapping all these things up. We are to endeavor to keep the unity of the body of Christ and in, in, in the bond of peace. And, and then he went on to tell us that there was one body, one spirit, just as you are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. And then he goes on to start to tell us about the gifts of the Spirit. And that's really where we're going to get to today because we want to talk about the gifts of the Spirit. The gifts of the Spirit are so important and every one of you has a gift. If you're here today and you're born again, you have a gift. And God wants you to use that gift. God doesn't want pew potatoes. He wants people to get out of their seat and do something, okay? It's so important. And isn't he worthy? Oh, let me try that again. Isn't he worthy? Okay, I'm just making sure I had the right group. <laughs> he gives us these gifts to use to bless others. It's so important, and there's, and there's multiple gifts. I mean, I could touch on a couple. Um, in Second, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4, he says this, There are diversities of the gifts, but the same Spirit. That's what we all have in common. We all have the same Holy Spirit. That's why we're all being directed the same way. It's just that some are yielding yourselves to the Holy Spirit, and other of you are still fighting it, wanting to do your own thing. I'll tell you what, uh, you'll do a lot better if you yield yourself to the Holy Spirit. So he says, there are diversities of the gift, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it's the same God who works in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, another faith by the same Spirit, another the gifts of healings by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to, to another different kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things distributing to each one individually as he wills. So it's up to God. It's not up to us. We all, you know, I always like to pray all the time, Lord, give me more gifts. And we need to understand the gifts are not for you. They're for the building up of the body of Christ. Probably the, the, the least of the gifts, and I don't say that in a bad way. I'm saying it to make a point. The least of the gifts is speaking in tongues. Because it doesn't edify the body unless you have an interpreter. And most of the time, when somebody has the gift of tongues, there isn't an interpreter to bring about the interpretation. So the, the gift of tongues is more for you because it's declaring the wonderful works of God. It's praising the Lord Jesus. And that's how you know when you have somebody that's going to be interpreting tongues if it's authentic or not. So if you're in a setting like we've been doing these afterglows on Wednesday night, you've got to come out for prayer and worship on Wednesday night. It's awesome. And so it's an opportunity to pray for people and to exercise the gifts of the Spirit. But if somebody was to stand up and say, I have the gift of tongues, I would say, is there anybody with the gift of interpretation? If somebody had the gift of interpretation, we could have that person speak in tongues and then have it interpreted. 
Now, the hard job for me as a pastor is I've been in situations where people said they had the gift of interpretation, the person spoke in tongues, and then the person that said they had the gift of interpretation starts saying a message to people, to, the, to man from God, and I have to stop them because the gift of tongues is not to man, it's always to God, and it's always praising God, the wonderful works of God. It's just, it's just God gives a gift to people who feel they can't praise Him enough in their own language. And so they, he gives them the heavenly language and, and they just go off. And it's awesome. So we see these gifts of the Spirit. They're, they're neat. What we're looking at today is God has gifted a, all churches with, with uh, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastor, teachers. As the New Testament was being laid out during that first century when Christ, after Christ's resurrection. And what we're going to see today is that a couple of those offices aren't active today, but there is a sense of that ministry today. And we're going to see that uh, the ones that have existed through time after the completion of the Bible is evangelism and pastor teachers. Okay, but what we're going to discover is the office of apostle and prophet no longer exists but the ministry of the apostle and the prophet does exist. And I know that may sound confusing. Hopefully I'll clear that up for you. But our whole point today is to look at these gifts that God has given to the church. Here God shows us these gifts by listing these four groups. Now you say, well wait, there's five groups there. There's apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. And you hear sometimes people preaching the five-fold ministry. Well, it's really not a five-fold ministry. It's only a four-fold ministry because if you look at the Greek structure carefully, pastor, teacher is one and the same. You can't have a pastor who loves the church but doesn't feed them. You can't have a pastor that feeds the church but doesn't love them. So pastor, teacher goes together. It's important that you understand that. The other thing that's very important to understand is one of the purposes that we have of giving the gospel and sharing the good news is discipleship. Discipleship is so important. If you're a new believer or maybe you're not a new believer, you need to be discipled. You need someone to be pouring into you. And we have a few groups that are into discipleship. Come, come see me and I'll get you hooked up with those groups. But the purpose of discipleship is that we would grow. And not only grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord, but then engage. Get in the game. God wants you to serve. God wants to see you. He wants to bless you. He wants to see you working and doing His work and blessing others through the power of the Holy Spirit. So we want to grow, but we also want to engage. Every one of us has a gift of God, and, and God is not going to give you a gift without giving you a task. I'm just letting that set in a little bit. It is impossible for us not to serve and to be Christ-like. He's going to stress that point big time in verse 16. That if you are a child of God and you're not serving, how do you expect to be Christ-like unless you're serving the King of Kings. Now, I know, I know everybody's busy, and they've got a big schedule and everything, but I'll tell you what, you'll never go wrong serving God. You can serve God on your workplace. You can be an example of Jesus at the workplace. You can share the love of God wherever you're at. Are you available? God has given you gifts. Now, 
Let's look at the first one. The first one is apostle. Apostle means sent one. And according to the Bible, there was a criteria to being an apostle. 1 Corinthians 9 tells us that you had to be a witness of his ministry. Acts chapter 1 tells us that you had to be a witness of the resurrection. Hebrews chapter 2 tells us that the apostles had special power gifts, uh, miracle gifts that was different from others. And through the apostles, the church had its doctrinal foundation laid. That's important to understand. They established doctrine. They established theology with absolute authority. The apostles weren't reading the New Testament. They were writing it down. God chose 12. Now, of course, we all know he lost one. Nothing took God by surprise, but you remember the guys tried to cast lots for the 12th one, a new one. It landed on Matthias, but they didn't realize that God had Paul in mind. Paul was that 12th one. These 12 had divine power. They had divine power and authority. You remember, uh, what is it, Acts 5, I think it is, Ananias and Sapphira. You guys remember that story? Ananias and Sapphira, they sold a plot of land. They acted like they gave all the money to the church. But they held back a portion and they gave a portion. And Peter called them out. He said, what are you doing? And Peter even told Ananias, he says, listen, the money was yours. You could have kept it all. You could have kept most of it and gave a little bit. You could have kept a little and gave most of it. It didn't matter. It was yours. But it's the fact that you gave a portion and acted like you gave it all so you would look really holy in front of the church. You're going to drop dead right now because you've lied to man and to God. And he says, the people that are standing around here are going to carry out your dead body. And both of them dropped dead. Because why? Because they misrepresented God. How many of us would make it out of here today? I mean, think about that. Hey, did you tithe today? Yeah. How much you put in? A hundred. Really, you only put in five? Drop dead. We'd have a whole new ministry. The carry them out ministry. I mean, see, but God was trying to make a point in the early church. He wasn't, he wasn't allowing sin to run rampant in the church. He was nipping things right away because he was setting an example for the church and how the church should be. It should be holy and without blemish and without spot. And that's what these, these 12 apostles had this power and authority given to them by God. And in Revelation 21, after the, the millennial kingdom reign, you see the new Jerusalem coming down. And in the new Jerusalem, there are 12 foundations. And the names of those 12 foundations are the names of the apostles of the Lamb. What does that tell you? That the office of apostle is limited to 12. So the question is, are there apostles today? No. Not in that sense. In the sense of being sent forth? Absolutely. That they would speak authoritatively and plant churches? Yes. The ministry of apostle? Sure. But not the office of apostle. The office of apostle doesn't exist anymore. I always get a little weary, leery, or whatever the word is. I always get a little uncomfortable, and I don't know, maybe you, can maybe you do too, but I have met people in the past that have called themselves apostles and called themselves prophets. I always get a red flag. Because what... You know, why do you need a title? And most of the time, they're very controlling of their flock. And, and the Bible says that God hates the laity. The, he hates it when they're... The, he uses a word in uh, Revelation chapter 2, the Nicolaitans. Nicaeo to conquer the laity, the people. 
God doesn't want the leadership of a church lording over the people. We're here to serve you, not to lord over you. And a problem, as we see a lot of times, is the pastor lording over the people and trying to control them. So then we come to uh, prophets. The prophet was the one that spoke God's word to man. Prophecy of the future was part of that. But in the New Testament, we see the prophet was foretelling the word of God to the people. He was telling the word of God to the people at the same time the apostles were writing down the word of God in the New Testament by the Holy Spirit to encourage the people till the Bible was completed. See, the purpose of the prophet in the Old Testament and the New Testament was to foretell the word of God to the people as it was being written down. But by the time we have the Bible, we have all that we need Everything that God wants us to know is in the Scriptures and there's strong warning of adding to it or taking away from it. Hebrews chapter 1 says, verse 1, God who at various times and in various ways spoke in the time past to the fathers by the prophets has in these last days spoken to us by His Son. By the Word of God. What does that mean? That means we have the completed Word. You've got the Bible right in front of you. You've got the completed Word of God. It's important to understand that. We have all we need. There is no new thing out there. And He's going to warn us about that in, in verse 14. There's nothing new. So when you hear somebody say they're a prophet and they start saying, well, I've got this new thing that nobody knows about. God only revealed to me. The church doesn't even know it. He's red flag. Because the Bible warns us, don't you add to this book. And don't you take away from this book. And so now we have the complete Word of God. It's important to understand that. Is there an office of prophet today? No. Are there the gifts of prophecy? Yes. 1 Corinthians 14.1 says, Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. So what is that? The gift of prophecy today is when God gives you something in a, in a group setting or you're with somebody to warn them, to comfort them, to edify them, to encourage them in, in the Word of God. Amen. That God gives you a verse and you share that verse right at the perfect time at a prayer meeting and it gives encouragement and, and edifies and builds up that individual. And then we come to evangelist here. Evangelism is a gift of God. Did you know that? You look around at some of the great evangelists of all times. Blows me away. I mean, um, you know, you see we did the Will Graham event here with Will and Franklin Graham, and that was awesome. We saw a lot of people get saved. And, and then you've watched the Harvest Crusades, and thousands of people are getting saved. In my day growing up, we watched Billy Graham. Anybody guys remember Billy Graham? All right, yeah. And, you know, it was a big thing back then because I can remember watching black and white TV during prime time, and all the stations had Billy Graham on. That was when our country was all claiming that they were all Christians, right? And, and this was a big event. And he would get up there, and I don't know if you noticed, but Billy Graham would say the simplest messages, and all these people would get saved. And I'm like, I could have done that. No, the problem is if I would have got up there and gave the message, nobody would have heard it because I don't have that gift of evangelism. You know what I'm saying? So it's, it's truly a gift. When you watch Greg Laurie, at Harvest Crusades, what does he do? He gives a couple of verses, tells a couple of stories, and 15,000 people get saved. And you're like, what? You know, why is it? It's a gift. It's a gift. 
I always wanted to be an evangelist. I really did. I, I feel like I got that heart. I feel like, um, but God made me a pastor teacher. And that's someone to feed the flock and to care for the flock and to teach them the word of God. That's, that's the gift that God has given me. I got to say, though, he has blessed me on the mission field where I feel like he gives me some of my wants and allows me that opportunity to be an evangelist. And, and I recognize that it's a gift of God. I got nothing to do with it because we will go places and we will share a message in such a simple way and everybody will get saved. It's crazy. We would go into the streets of Manila and other places with coloring books and go into alleys where little kids are playing because they, they play. They actually go outside and play. You know, they don't have Xbox, they don't have an iPhone, they don't have anything like that. So they're out in the streets playing. We pass out coloring books, Jesus coloring books. They start coloring. Next thing you know, all the parents come out to want to know what's going on. And so then we hook up a projector and a screen. We show the Jesus story in their own language. And at the end of the movie, we say, who wants to get saved? Everybody raises their hand. I don't even have to give a message. We have a running joke for the Philippines that you could sneeze and somebody would get saved. I mean, it's just that ripe. But we got to recognize that it's, it's a gift that God gives people. So you wait before you try to scurry out of this, because you might be sitting here today saying, oh, well, good, I don't got the gift of evangelism, so I don't have to evangelize. Oh, no, sorry, doesn't work. 2 Timothy 4, verse 5 says, but you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. We may not all call, be called to be an evangelist, but we are all called to evangelize. Just sharing how God saved you. And then we come to pastor teacher, and we already talked about that a little bit. The pastor's job is to teach the flock and to care for the flock, and, and that's important for us to understand. Then verse 12 says, what, what are all these guys for? What, what's the apostle? What's the, the prophet? What's the evangelist, the pastor teacher for? For the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. For the edifying of the body of Christ. That's the purpose. This, these men... And, and like I said, the, apostle, the office of apostle and prophet is no longer. The ministry is still there, but that office is not there. What we do see that has, has kept continuing on through the ages is evangelism and pastor teaching for the equipping of the saints and the building up of the body of Christ. It's so important. So God has given gifted men to the church to teach them in the ways of God, to, to spark something by the Holy Spirit in their hearts that says, listen, Sunday's not enough. I need Jesus every day. I need to be in the Word every day. I need to be praying every day. I need to be seeking the Lord. I need a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit every single day. Matter of fact, I need a fresh filling all day long. Because I'll tell you what, I get drained. And I don't want to do anything in my power. I want to do it in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So I want you to understand, too, something very important there when it says there in verse 12, for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. So what's my job? To equip you for the work of the ministry. There's a lot of work in the ministry, and sometimes people say, well, that's what we pay you for, Pastor. No, you don't. You pay me to equip you for you to do it. got real quiet in here <laughs> now hey listen i don't got a problem you know sweeping and cleaning and cleaning toilets and picking up cigarette butts out in the parking lot. i don't got a problem with that and i'll do that stuff i'm just saying my job is to equip you 
to do the work of the ministry. That's so important. See, every one of us needs to exercise our calling. God doesn't want you just sitting around. You know, I'll tell you what, if, let me tell you something. If God made salvation a works thing, we'd be doing a lot more, wouldn't we? Guaranteed, but because it's grace and we didn't have to pay for it, a lot of times we don't appreciate it. We don't understand the depths of his love and what he's done for us. And that's what chapters 1, 2, and 3 are all about, to show us where God is at and how he sees us and what he feels about us. And that should drive us to want to serve God. So important. In verse 13, he says, and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man. Now, perfect man, the word is a completed man. You and I are not perfect yet, in the sense, till we stand into the presence of God. So right now, what is he doing? He's changing us from glory to glory by the power of the Holy Spirit. Is he not? Aren't you better than you used to be? But you're not quite what you should be. So we're still a work in progress. He's changing us from glory to glory, and that will be completed when we're standing in his presence. And that's a process. So he says, end of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer walk as children. Oh, you know what? I actually left out, we all should come into unity of the faith. I left that part out. I'm sorry. We're, we're here for the equipping of the saints to build up the body of Christ that we would all come to the unity of the faith. And that's to have an understanding of the Bible. Do you have an understanding of the Bible? Do, you all, do we all have the same doctrine and theology? That is so important for us. That we would have the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. Strong warning there. This is why it's so important to have a solid foundation in the Word of God. That's why we have the complete Word here. That's why we don't need anything else. If you need answers, it's all right here. The B-I-B-L-E, basic instruction before leaving earth. This is the manual for life. There's nothing new under the sun. You've got it all right here. If somebody comes along and says they know something you don't, you just say, I, I know that you don't know <laughs> because I got everything I need. And you have that. And there's people that will go after young Christians and derail them. You know, they're young, they're excited about the grace of God, the love of God, and somebody will go, oh, well, let me, let me show you this, that your church doesn't know. Watch out for it. You know, and, and the tactics are subtle. I mean, you've got, you know, and, and I know people get upset when I do this, when I talk about Jehovah Witness or Mormons, because you have friends that are Jehovah Witness or Mormons, but they're not Christians. Sorry. It's not the same Jesus. If you understand their doctrine, it is not even close. But the problem is they will use your Bible. But they'll say you can't understand your Bible unless you have our book. And their book twists everything so out of line, it's crazy. And, and the Bible warned us about adding to the scriptures. He's going to add the plagues. So it's, it's a scary thing. But you have these people that will come and they'll try to lure you in. But see, here's the problem. If you don't know the Word of God, you'll get tossed and fro with every wind of doctrine. You'll get tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine. Now, here's the other thing. Let me warn you against, because I know a lot of people that study all the false teachers. They, they study Mormonism. They study Jehovah Witness. They study Hinduism. They study Buddhism. They study the Quran. Stop it. Study this. Don't study that. 
Listen, when, when they train people to spot counterfeit $100 bills, they don't bring in counterfeit $100 bills. They make them study the real deal. And they know the real deal so much that when the counterfeit comes up, red flag, you study the real deal, the Bible. So when somebody comes and says, hey, this is what you go, nope, oops, show me that. They can't show it to you in the Bible. They can only show it to you in their book. We need to rightly divide the word. It's important for us. And then he goes on to say, but speaking the truth in love. I should probably just stop right there. <laughs> this is where some of us are a little rough around the edges. I can remember standing on a street corner as a young Christian yelling out to the people of Kapaa, turn or burn! <laughs> Repent or perish! It was true, but it definitely wasn't in love. Right? We need to speak the truth in love. Hey, did you hear? Jesus died for you. You hear he loves you so much. He loves you so much he can't take his eyes off you and he wants you with him for all eternity. He died on the cross for your sins. He gave his blood that you could be forgiven. And if you just ask him into your heart right now and receive him for who he is, you'll be born again and have everlasting life. Doesn't that sound better than repent or go to hell? But there's people like that. And we've been like that when we get frustrated with someone, when we're trying to share, especially when you share with family. Did you guys know a prophet's not welcome in his own country? You come home and you think you're going to evangelize everybody in your house, and they're just like, oh, great, what are they into this week, right? And you try to share it, and then you get in these arguments, and then you, you say things like, well, you better turn or burn. You're all going to hell. There's no love there. When you can't reach somebody in your family, here's what you do. Stop talking. Let your lifestyle speak. Let them see Jesus in and through you. Amen? So he says, but speaking the truth in love, that you may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined <coughs> and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body and for the edifying of itself. In love. Let's wrap it up with this. We know how much God loves us. We know how much God has done for us. We know from verse 2 that we're supposed to be humble, act with lowliness, be meek, gentle, full of kindness, bearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the body of Christ, to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord, to understand that every one of us has a calling and God wants you to answer the call and to use the gifts that he has given you to further the kingdom for his glory. In verse 16 where he says, which every part does its share. You're the part that he's talking about. When every part in this room, when every person in this room does their share, it causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Love's the answer. 
Love the Lord God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love is the answer. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you. Just for the reminder, Lord, we often forget. You keep it simple, we complicate it. And so, Lord, I pray that you would bring strength to the body right now to not only be a believer, but to engage in ministry. To take the gift that you've given to us all and use it for your glory. To be the hands and feet of Jesus, to extend the love of the Father to everyone around us. To let people see that we're Christ-like through our actions. And Lord, we pray for the unity of the body of Christ, that in these times, Lord, that you would knit us together as this body here, but not only here, but knit us to the other churches that are like-minded on the island so we could be a force to be used by you for the glory of God. Pour out your Spirit upon us right now. We love you and we thank you for what you're going to do in the future. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys.